0: back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale, and uh, today's going to be actually a special treat. So this is going to be a solo show. Uh, I'm going to put it out as a bonus. Essentially, it's it's kind of representing a fresh start for me here at RSM. So I, as um, the listeners, some of the listeners will know, I just finished my cosmological argument as a solo series, trying to prove the existence of God as a solo show. And um, you know, I, like I said, I'm trying to reach out to a couple atheists either Val or or Travis and see if they're interested in doing a discussion show on that topic but yeah in terms of the solo shows that represented the last vestige of my association with SNS because the large bits of the cosmological argument I recorded you know over the past two years starting two years ago in the summer of 2019 while I was still at SNS and associated with that and you know obviously with the SNS the audience and stuff that i adopt a sort of a a different rougher tone sort of a overly bombastic and uh provocative tone and uh you have to i felt um when i was there i had to use the tough love approach i had to kind of use overly bombastic rhetoric to overcome the fact that they were just very closed-minded to anything that i would present but yeah like i said now that that's over finally i've put up every single solo show that I ever did on SNS is now officially recorded. I still have uh, some SNS shows, so I'm still associated with SNS in some of the um, discussion shows that I've done, and I'll post those up, those are in the archive and that sort of thing. But in terms of solo shows, uh, I made it, I'm finished, so it's totally brand new in terms of what I want to do with my solo shows at Real Seekers. and in light of that, I want to start off on a fresh note. So I'm going to try my best—no more overly bombastic rhetoric. I'm solely focused on the real seekers audience now, and uh, trying to be civil, totally civil, respectful, no overly bombastic rhetoric. Treating atheist Christians the same, hoping that you know I, I can help either of you guys, and that you guys are open. And to kind of signal that, um, I wanted to reopen my shroud series my shroud solo series and and start doing you know every every now and then do throw in a new solo show on the evidence for the shroud of turin and my argument for that because as some people will know um i started that up on sns and i was only able to get out 10 parts uh and then eventually for one reason or other david johnson was my partner at that time and he didn't want us to want me to keep doing the shroud um, topic he felt it was drawing in too much attention and he he didn't want it taking away from other topics he didn't want SNS to just be a, a shroud site and you know I respect that I, I don't like being a one topic person either so because we were partners I had to respect his wishes and I stopped but there were some Christians in the audience uh, back at SNS that really liked so such as Robert Parr a person who's always been there a great friend to me and he's always been respectful and a good mentor and that sort of thing so he really liked my shroud series, and he you know he's always mentioned to me how much he wanted me to to keep going with it but obviously I couldn't because I had to respect my partner's wishes at that time we were a, a team so I can't just do whatever I like but now um, now it's a real seekers um I'm the I'm the boss I'm the only one in charge so I figured it would be a great way to kind of uh, signal this fresh start that I I want to employ, at least with my solo shows and afterwards in the discussion shows once the SNS shows are all posted. But with the solo shows, this is a fresh start. And what better way to signal that than let me get back into that solo series. Let me uh, finish off my Shroud series over time, you know, whenever I can post it and stuff like that. So that's what I want this to signal, um, and it's a gesture of respect to my friend Robert Parr, who's a a great Christian friend and mentor. So, yeah, with that said, let's get into it. Okay, so picking up uh, from where we left off in part 10 of our solo Shroud series, uh, from like, you know, three years ago or something like that, um, we were going over the uh, case that the Shroud's image formation is in fact miraculous, not necessarily supernatural, but. Miraculous. They serve as a sign from God, and they f- fulfill my criteria for something's being a what I called a G belief authenticating event. Fancy word, just means um, you know a, a religious authenticating event. It's it's a an intelligently designed event by God for the purpose of attesting to the truth of Christianity. That's what we're trying to prove. And in part, uh, either part, I think part six um, in this series. That's where I go over, um, and that's just based on memory. This is where I go over my criteria in part B. So, the, the major steps are number one was criterion A. We have to establish what are the minimal relevant features of my minimal relevant feature approach to studying the shroud of trend. And in parts four and five, I went over the various features that I'm using, you know, things like the body image superficiality. Um, three-dimensional information, the body image uniformity, all of that good stuff, all of the facts that are relev- minimally relevant to establishing our case. Then, then we started getting into criterion B. That's where we prove that the event is extraordinary. Uh, and finally, we'll get we will get into criterion C, and that's where we establish the specification, the religious context. That provides an expectation for there to be a miracle by god in the first place and where we are at the moment we're in the the bulk we're in criterion b we're trying to establish the extraordinariness um, of the shroud's minimal relevant features that we established in part a um, in order to do that we're looking at mechanistic type arguments so we're studying various ordinary naturalistic mechanisms that people have proposed so we started with the traditional painting hypothesis by Dr. Walter McCrone and it, that was in part seven and eight and we showed that that has been scientifically falsified that is extremely improbable and in fact impossible scientifically speaking to be true we know for a fact um, with absolute proof in the technical sense of the word I would say uh, or at the very least as, as near Absolute proof that scientific evidence and the test of scientific falsification can get us that that's false Then in parts 9 and 10 we stat, we looked at three powder rubbing and or dusting uh, Image forming mechanisms. So that of Joe Joe Nickel, who was the first to come up with it um, Craig and Barisi in the 90s mid 90s with their dusting technique and then finally, the most recent, in, in uh, 2008, 2009, around there, with Dr. Luigi Garlicelli, the chemist who uh, has produced, through his sort of frottage method, um, the closest uh, artistic replicas of the shroud to date. Um, although again, as we saw in parts nine and 10, none of these techniques came anywhere close to, repro- to reproducing or duplicating or providing even theoretical grounds Uh, for thinking that these methods could in fact reproduce all of the minimal relevant features, those physical and chemical characteristics of the shroud that are minimally relevant to proving that it's a miracle of God. So in this part, I want to move on to the next big category. And again, it's an umbrella category, as I call it, in terms of image forming mechanisms. And that is, um, I want to go to what is called the Medieval Photograph or Proto-photographic type techniques. Um, And there are, as I said, this is an umbrella category. So there are a bunch of different methods. Um, So the first one are the traditional Medieval Proto-photo type methods. So um, these were advanced by people like Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince or the most famous advocate of this view is Nicholas Allen. He's the one that you hear about in his technique. He's the one that you hear about or see his pictures from his experimental results in all of the documentaries on the Shroud. Um, and, you know, they did theirs in the in the ni- 1995 and ni- to 1997 and in around those dates. Um, and Lynn Pickett, Clyde Prince, they did their experimental results in 1994. There's also the what's called the shadow technique um so that that's a, a different method um by nathan d wilson and that was in, in and around 2005 so we're going to take a look at that uh, and then finally we have the solar reflex model by uh sergi um Murnaviv, Murnaviv, um and that was again in the late 1990s so so those are the three main categories we have the proto photo methods the shadow technique and then the solar reflex models that are included in this medieval proto-photo photograph uh, umbrella category of of image forming mechanism. So so yeah, let's just take a quick look at what each of these models entail. The first one is the straightforward proto-photo hypothesis uh, by both Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince, and then later on by Nicholas Allen. So what do they say? Okay, so this uh, artistic technique uh just to sort of summarize there's obviously going to be differences between picnic and prince versus nicholas allen's uh experimental versions and and that sort of thing but in general the proto-photo uh method or mechanism has the same basic procedural outline no matter who's doing it so it's kind of a six-step process to summarize so step one look there's a linen cloth that's treated with various uh photosensitizing substances in order to make the cloth sensitive uh sensitive to light like a photographic film is and uh just so picnic for example picnic and prince they used solutions such as egg white and ammonia uh, bichromate whereas nicholas allen he brushed the cloth with silver nitrate and or silver sulfate Uh, onto the cloth. So that's an example of these um, sensitizing solutions that they put on the cloth as part of step one. Then with step two, a body and or a statue was placed in the sunlight across from the linen cloth, which was stretched flat and placed in a dark room or cave uh, several feet away from the body. At that point, a lens being equidistant between the two objects, so it's the same distance from the body and the same distance from the cloth is then basically put in place to focus and direct the sunlight onto the cloth itself, uh, which has been doused in these photosensitive, sensitizing solutions. And then step three, the frontal image is captured first. Step four, the setup was changed to capture the dorsal image second. Step five, the setup was changed once again and redone to separately capture the facial and or uh, the images that cannot be captured the first time. So there's kind of like a, a buffer zone, uh, a redo to capture any mistakes that were missed the first time. And then finally, step step. Step six is that the cloth was then washed to remove any residual uh, photosensitive or photosensitizing substances um, from the cloth itself after the, hit, after the images had become what's called, quote unquote, fixed. So that in a nutshell is what the protophotograph Photo hypothesis is um, now one. Just quick note here. Uh, to, as I said, I mentioned Nichol- Nicholas Allen is really the famous one. He's the name that is always associated with this hypothesis, and it's just because he his theory was given more attention due to the fact that Picknett and Prince unfortunately kind of tied their experimental results back in '94 um, with radical conspiracy theories on a historical basis. So, for example, they said. Well, who is the shroud man? That's none other than Leonardo da Vinci himself. He's the shroud man, but of course that's ridiculous. It's a historically proven fact that yeah, we it's uncontroversial. Everyone admits the shroud at least dates back uh, to the 1350s at the latest, way a century before Leonardo da Vinci was even born or whatever. He he was around the 1400s and that sort of thing. So it couldn't have been Leonardo da Vinci. So. Because they made that kind of ridiculous historical conspiracy theory and associated that, that became sort of associated with their technique. And on that basis, Nicholas Allen is taken more uh, seriously, even though it's roughly the same method that they, that they used. All right, great. Uh, so let's move on to the second image forming mechanism that fits under this umbrella category, and that's the shadow hypothesis by Nathan D. Wilson in and around 2005. So what's his me- what's his mechanism all about? OK, so Nathan Wilson, his shadow hypothesis is kind of an interesting take. It stems from Nicholas Allen's protophoto method um, and Nathan uh, Wilson. Nathan Wilson believed that Nicholas Allen's results using the proto photo method through the use of sunlight reinforced his own notion about the shadow hypothesis. And he he said well this absolutely proves that sunlight must have played a role in the production of the shroud images so he kind of claimed quote-unquote look both Nicholas Allen and I are both attempting to create a photo negative by means of sunlight but Wilson's method has an interesting twist so instead of the sunlight itself creating the images uh, on the cloth it's it's actually the opposite so so let me explain so Wilson's method basically uses a raw linen cloth that is uniformly aged to simulate simulate the maximum image intensity and color of the shroud uh, image as we see it um, but then using a painted piece of glass where the uh, painted image on the glass casts a shadow onto the cloth directly proportionally uh, with the density of the a paint that is applied on the glass then those corresponding areas on the cloth are thus protected from the effects of the sun beneath the painted image on the glass. And in effect, the use of this quote-unquote shadow, the shadow from this painted piece of glass that's portrayed on the, the cloth is not used directly to create the images. Rather, it's the sunlight affecting the rest of the cloth that's not—that's outside of the shadow and bleaching that unprotected bits of the cloth. And making that, uh, you know, turn white, um, leaving behind the colored or aged image that's consistent with the image on the painted glass. So it's, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's not exactly technically true, but it's the shadow that's creating the image that's, or rather leaving behind the colored image um, while the sunlight's just turning the, the cloth white, whiter so that you can see the contrast between the image and the cloth. So the shadow protects the image, whereas with Nicholas Allen, it's the sunlight that's directly on the cloth producing the image on the cloth and it's kind of the opposite, it's interesting. So, so yeah, it's, uh, so some people have kind of compared um, Nathan uh, Wilson's shadow technique as kind of like seeing a, a sculptor, right? They'll say, well, the sculpture's already there. I just need to remove the little bits. And in this way, the shroud images are already there I just need to remove the rest of the yellow cloth and turn that, the rest of the cloth white, to reveal the shroud images that are already there, um, as per, uh, as covered up by the shadow um, from his painted glass or something. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting um, technique for sure. Nick Wilson describes his technique in terms of his scientific experiment in four phases. So he does. Look, phase one, a lineup of faces would be painted on glass with white paint placed over linen and exposed beneath the sun for differing differing periods of time. So different artists and non-artists would paint the faces and various, um, you know, paint thicknesses would be used as well. Um, this is going to be relevant for tri-dimensionality. And the goal of this phase was basically just to select the single painting um, that produced the best comparable images to the Shroud. Um, and on that front, he selected a, a window painting that was developed in less than an hour by David Beauchamp, um, who wasn't even an artist. Um, but yeah, so, so basically that initially produced an image which um, aligned parallel to the sun's path and was exposed for 10 days. Phase two, um, the Beauchamp painting would expose two additional images. The first image would be exposed perpendicular to the sun's path and as temperatures dropped and the summer was fading it would be left exposed for 15 days so the second image would be exposed beneath a stationary sun lamp for approximately 140 hours phase three then is that all of the images created would be photographed in the studio of uh mark lamar for comparisons of the negatives And the tridimensionality of a faux shroud image would be compared to that of the actual Shroud of Turin itself. So then he finally, phase four, he finishes off, it was found that even a crudely painted piece of glass could produce a photographic photo-negative image with three-dimensionally encoded information onto the linen. The images produced by the Beauchamp painting did not match the finesse of the Turin Shroud, but nevertheless aptly demonstrated the viability of the technique if the, the painting were better produced or more comparable to the Shroud, um, rather than a crude drawing painted in one hour or something like that. So, yeah, and it, that's, that's his image-forming mechanism. And it's important to note that Wilson only created an image of the face. He didn't even attempt to create uh, full body images. This is a common uh, thing among shroud skeptics. A lot, a lot of times with artistic techniques, they don't bother. There's practical reasons for that. I mean, that's, that's understandable as long as you can demonstrate your technique works, but nevertheless, it's, it's, there could be potential problems um, that are emerging if you're not reproducing the full images that, that might emerge, even if you could get a perfect face and also, he never even attempted to recreate the shroud's bloodstain wounds or images. So again, he just relies on the traditional painting method, and we, we saw that that didn't work, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the assessment. Okay, finally, the solar reflux radiation, or reflex radiation model by Serge Muravi. sorry, I can't pronounce that name, but... Okay, so so um, Serge Maraviv has come up with his own variation of the proto-phototype process, uh, in order to encode the body images on the shroud. Now it's important to note that this theory, uh, if you read my three hundred page shroud chapter from three years ago, there's a little bit of confusion. Is is this an ordinary artistic method or is it an ordinary naturalistic method? And. Just to clarify, so the distinction between that, um, again, at some points I had some confusion, but the the clear distinction at this point is, look, ordinary naturalistic methods must involve a human body, either dead or alive, as a corpse or not, um, and the laws of nature operating the ordinary naturalistic naturalistic mechanisms, you know, things that are well-established, currently well-known, that sort of thing, um, that operating solely on their own merits, without any divine or intelligent help or anything like that. Ordinary artistic methods involve, uh, so they might not involve a body, a human body or corpse or anything like that, either alive or dead. Um, but they could. We saw with Luigi Garlocella, he used a human torso to encode, or a human body, but not the from the neck down in order to encode some of his images. Um, so artistic methods can employ a human body but it's uh and the laws of nature obviously or naturalistic mechanisms but in addition they involve some kind of artistic input or Ar- an artist's intelligence methods techniques or or materials or something like that there's some kind of artistic input um that's involved in addition to just positing a body or something that's what distinguishes an ordinary artistic method using a body from a naturalist, purely natu- ordinary naturalistic method that uh, postulates a body. And with this mechanism it, it can straddle both ways depending on how you postulate it. So we're gonna say that there could have been a medieval artist that employed a similar method here to encode the images on the Shroud. Even though for Mor- Moraviv himself he's an interesting case because he doesn't posit a purposeful artist making an artistic input in flipping the body over or or to create these shroud man images he says no it was jesus himself and the women put alloys and myrrh on him and yeah i'll explain the method in a second but um it happened naturalistically there was no artistic input that was involved in the formation of these images of jesus on the shroud of turin uh it happened naturally so under Thesis proper, this would actually be an ordinary naturalistic hypothesis in that category, not an ordinary artistic category. But I include it here because it could be, if we don't accept Moraviv's historical views that, well, the shroud actually covered Jesus and it, hap- it happened by accident or naturalistically and that sort of thing, we could posit an artist employing this technique on somebody else in order to create an image that looked like Jesus or something like that. So I hope that clarifies that. So so let's get into his method here. So Marviv calls attention to three misleading presuppositions that he finds most pro-shroud experts assume when they're conducting their analysis of the various image forming mechanisms. And he thinks that if we can eliminate these presuppositions, um, well then we find that the problem of reproducing the shroud mechanistically um, through his process is not a problem. So so what are these three presuppositions he's talking about? Presupposition 1 is that the images were produced by some chemical or radiant agent originating inside a body or from a body. Presupposition 2, the images were formed while the body lay in the tomb in a supine position. And presupposition 3, that both images, the frontal and the dorsal images, were produced simultaneously. So he's going to call into question... These assumptions, uh, or what he thinks are um, presuppositions of most pro-shroud experts, once you get rid of that, then there's going to be no problem. Okay, so to rectify this deficiency, so what is Morby's, um solar reflex radiation model? Basically, his method postulates that after Jesus or the shroud man, you know, he he associates that with Jesus. Interestingly. Um, but let's we don't have to assume that pretend it's just some shroud man or something after the after he was killed both he and the shroud cloth were covered in a mixture of alloys and myrrh as you know quote-unquote alloys and myrrh dissolved in oil or water have been known you know from past time immemorial as, as moisturizers or antiseptics together with a specially waterproofed shroud um was basically the standard funeral kit for wealthy victims who suffered violent deaths in the ancient world. So then he goes on to say that, look, the body of Jesus would have been left out in the sun to dry after being coated with these alloys and myrrhs in this mixture, uh, eventually being flipped over on each side so that the mixture could perform its function on both the frontal and dorsal sides of Jesus' body. And this in turn produced a hard crust, uh, which would have remained intact for at least two days. Um, waterproof crust there so yeah one of the immediate benefits of this over and against the other mechanisms in this proto photo umbrella category mechanism is that there's no longer a need to really understand how the pluridirectional diffusion or emission of the images could have been produced on a complex surface um you know with the optic quality which really requires uh the focalizing lens uh or a beam of strictly parallel sun rays and a flat surface so um it kind of this method kind of overcomes the need for that those kind of mechanisms which really speak to it needing to be an ordinary artistic method this allows for there to be a naturalistic method that even says hey um it could have been jesus himself now understand our it doesn't need to be jesus his historical postulations aren't necessary for this mechanism to be true it could have been a body in the medieval period or or something like that, um, but obviously there there are hints like who's flipping over the body, how long does it have to be out in the sun? We'll we'll get into all these because that might hint that it would have to be an ordinary artistic mechanism. But yeah, I'm I'm sort of treating it as both and here it could be an ordinary naturalistic me- mechanism in the way that Moraviv himself postulates, and he goes on to give a further historical claim that that person was Jesus when it happened. Or it could be an ordinary artist make doing stuff with a human body a dead human body to create the images in this way or something like that um so yeah either way in a nutshell this theory really entails that the double image on the shroud of turin was formed by solar rays reflected by the damp shining body that was uh, immersed in these alloys and myrrh uh, solution and then that you know, the sun rays went through the translucent shroud and immediately intercepted by the damp inner side of the cloth, that's what created the images when the rays hit that. Uh, so that's his thing. So let's get into a quick analysis then. Okay, so how do these um, proto photo uh, category mechanisms work? And actually, I'm gonna change the name of this because they're not all proto photo techniques. So I should have called it uh, the sunlight derived Uh, models or sunlight based models which include under its umbrella category proto photo techniques uh, shadow techniques as well as um, solar reflex uh, techniques Um, so yeah, i'm going to change the name of that the category overall it's sunlight based models okay so uh, just to make it easier as i'm going through this so so how do these models overall handle the first minimal relevant feature remember that's the high resolution and as well the photographic negative and or uh, quasi or semi photographic negative nature and image diffuseness categories of features well um i think on this uh uh in this front we have to give it a check um all the techniques are able to account for photographic negativity feature and or the quasi negative photographic feature as well uh i think that they would account for the image diffuseness pretty well however um in the negative form in terms of the high resolution there is a question with nicholas allen's proto photo uh photographic technique because these actually these images actually produce images with a superior high resolution than the then seen on the shroud of turin it's too good it's too photographic and thus quote unquote uh, according to the experts quote unquote look allen's results which have the actual realism of a modern day photograph can be easily distinguished from the shroud image. Consequently, some might judge this item to be inconsistent with the shroud image. Um, So that's a problem there. The the proto-photo methods produce images that are too good. They're too highly resolved when compared to the Shroud of Turin and fail on that basis. Okay, what about the second minimal relevant feature? That's the category of the body image uniformity. How do these mechanisms perform on that front? and remember there are various aspects here so in the first place in terms of the uniformity issue with the shadow hypothesis mechanism um, the performance of that has been totally unproven as of late so we just have no details to confirm or not that it does produce body image uniformity at the moment there are no empirical proofs that it does and there's no mention in uh, Nathan Wilson's article about this feature at all so and on a theoretical basis, it, it seems like it would be uh, questionable uh, at best as to whether it could or not fulfill the body image uniformity in terms of the intensity of color, the un- uniform density would uh, probably be a workout and that sort of thing, but um, and as well substance uniformity because it pictures, it's, there's only one substance, a painted piece of glass, so it would check on that front. Um, And then there's cylindrical uniformity, but that's not a minimal relevant feature, so we won't get into that. Next, in terms of the proto-photo and solar reflex methods, so so these ones fail in terms of body image uniformity because they involve sunlight reflecting off a real human body. Both of these mechanisms posit the use of a human body, living or dead, to encode the images. Therefore, we get dual substances, hair, uh, and skin and sunlight does not reflect off of human skin and human hair in the same way. Now, obviously, with proto photo methods, um, they might posit the use of a statue, and in that case, then they solve that problem in terms of substance uniformity the mechanism operating uniformly, uh, encoding mechanism operating uniformly over differing substances. So, if your proto photo method does posits a statue, then check on this front. Uh, but the solar reflex one just fails on this because sunlight doesn't reflect off skin and hair in the same way, and therefore they wouldn't be encoded under the shroud in the exact same way. Now, furthermore, the proto-photo method specifically, they can explain the maximum uniform densities aspects of the shroud, um, but they cannot inherently explain the uniform intensity of each fibril. Remember, each thread is made up of 200 to 300 fibrils and each fibril is so small so tiny smaller than the diameter of a human hair and these are all colored individually with that straw yellow color body image color and they're colored to the exact same intensity or degree uh, so that's what body image uniform intense color intensity means and Stirp photographer and expert uh, Barry Schwartz he notes that Look, there's obvious signs on these techniques of what he calls, quote unquote, shadowing effects on Nicholas Allen's images, particularly those are the ones that he studied, but any and all such proto photo methods would produce this. Um, Any photographic process would produce these shadowing effects. Um, And further, there's also bright spots where the image intensity does not match the rest of the image. Uh, such as with the nose, for example. In that case, yeah, these methods fail. Now, in terms of the solar reflex reflex model, because they don't posit a vertical body or statue, but it's lying down in a supine position, like Jesus in the tomb or something like that, this possibly could eliminate the shadowing effect objection um, if we use the solar reflex model. So potentially that could the solar reflex model could explain the uniform intensity of color and avoid the shadowing effects issue. Um, yeah so that's it on this. Next with the the third feature, minimal relevant features, the tri-dimensional information or the 3d data encoded on the shroud. All methods fail to encode the subtle 3d information as seen on the shroud's frontal image. So in the first place all of the proto-photo methods they inherently employ frontal illumination which is unable inherently in the technique itself to quote-unquote reproduce the subtle lighter and darker areas of the shroud that can be correlated to distance between a body and a covering cloth. Um, STIRP scientist Dr. Alan Adler uh, he kind of bluntly stated that the Alan, Nicholas Allen proto-photo image uh, as well as any and all other proto-photo proponent images is quote-unquote an albedo image and will fail a VP8 image analyzer test. The word albedo is derived from the Latin albedo or whiteness or reflected sunlight. Furthermore, other STERP scientists have also calculated that the image on the shroud was formed at a cloth-to-body distance up to approximately four centimeters. So anything beyond four centimeters away from the cloth, imaging did not occur. occur. That's with the case with the Shroud of Turin. But these proto-photo methods posit way more distance than four centimeters. Um, So that's inconsistent with the three-dimensional information that only encodes data that was four centimeters or closer to the cloth at the time of encodation. Utter failure for these proto-photos on that front. You know, this is especially the case because this method entails the cloth being stretched flat and placed 14 feet away from the body all the points of the body would almost come out the exact same distance. So from the cloth over that period, uh, over that level of distance for the encodation mechanism to to operate there. So that would only translate to being approximately one out of 1740 closer to the cloth in the resultant uh, image density. So the image densities wouldn't be the same. Therefore they wouldn't be able to convey the three dimensional information as the shroud of Turin actually does. And that would be represented by a VPA image analyzer. They wouldn't be, it wouldn't be able to detect or produce a 3D effect at all if this technique was used to create the shroud. Now with the solar reflex model on the other hand, it doesn't suffer from this distance distortion issue because they actually postulate a close contact between the cloth and the body within four centimeters. In fact, they posit Jesus in the the proponent of this, surgery surge uh, actually posits jesus um so it doesn't have the same issue however there are some issues in terms of encoding the 3d data because uh quote unquote look the smaller amount of light falling on the body and the somewhat longer paths of the sun, sun rays reflected by the non-horizontal surfaces of the body together with the attenuating effect of the intervening medium so that's the not fully transparent solution of spices remember the sunlight goes through the transparent cloth, but gets trapped by the non-transparent spices. So, so the problem here is, well, look, this kind of theory, this solar reflex theory, has yet to be adequately tested in this regard to see how it works. And even according to Mor- Moraviv himself, who, who's the proponent of this model, even he admits, look, further experimental confirmation is required before any firm confirmation can be made about this mechanism's ability to do the 3D, to encode 3D, three-dimensional data. So at best, this is a questionable status. We don't know if it fulfills it or if it fails to fulfill this feature. Okay, finally, what about the shadow hypothesis? How does that handle the three, uh, three-dimensional data? So uh, this technique can indeed produce some pseudo three-dimensional data, nothing comparable to the shroud, just like what we saw with the bas-relief techniques. They can encode some 3D data, but it's not a true likeness of the shroud's true three-dimensional data. But nevertheless, yeah, this, this method depends on the ability of a medieval artist or an or an artist to paint a piece of glass using traditional painting techniques uh, onto a piece of glass this time, instead of directly onto the shroud, in a direct proportion to create the three-dimensional effect, three-dimensional effects or the image densities would correspond to a three-dimensional body um, as seen through a vp8 image analyzer or the like um, and we saw from the painting hypothesis in parts seven and eight when we assessed walter McCrone, that this is just very unlikely in fact it's scientifically impossible we've done experiments with expert forensic artists we've given them the benefit of certain anchor points to help them create the three-dimensional effects of the shroud, they all failed, they could not reproduce the true three-dimensional data that is seen on the shroud. So since the shadow hypothesis is the same as the painting hypothesis in this respect, it's an utter failure. All right, cool, so let's move on to feature number four. How how do they perform, the sunlight-based models perform on this front? Okay, so in terms of the fourth category or minimal relevant feature, Uh, How did these uh, sunlight-based models perform on that front? And firstly, starting with the proto-photo mechanisms, these mechanisms utterly fail. They are totally inherently unable to account for the shroud's vertically-mapped wrapping distortions. Um, And this is due to the simple fact that, well, look at what the theory says. It's postulating a cloth that's stretched out flat vertically. Um, And as such, there is simply no geometrical interaction between the cloth and a body that can even possibly be translated into wrapping distortion information, because there is no wrappings at at all, right? It's got a body 14 feet away from a cloth stretched out flat and a lens in the middle. Um, So there is no interacting of light with a flat cloth. Uh, Sorry, there's only interacting with light um, in terms of the flat cloth. You know it's it's not like having a bar relief wrapped or something a body being geometrically wrapped in the cloth and therefore interacting with the cloth at the time of image encodation that can result in some wrapping distortions although obviously those those wrapping distortions are judged not to be able to match the shroud's strictly vertical wrapping distortions that have been scientifically proven but yeah in in this case with proto photo methods there just is no wrapping distortions encoded whatsoever because a proto-photograph of a bas-relief or a statue just simply put cannot achieve the subtleties of actual wrapping distortions of a shroud cloth being wrapped around a body additionally there are other aspects with this feature so if you remember um there was no contact zone so um, we have full length continuous images of the body images including in no contact zones where areas where the shroud would not be touching a body if it were wrapped up in a shroud and and yet body images are in these areas as well Uh, wrapped naturally i should say without any external pressure or pressing down or something like that so that they touch then these are non-contact zones and there with the proto-photo methods there are multiple gaps or shadows Within the body images produced by these types of methods, such as uh, the rib cage, all the way from the rib cage to the upper legs, on Nicholas Allen's image, for example, when you take a look at what he's got. Also, there are areas of what are called quote unquote washout. That's what scientists call it, um, such as with the tops of the feet, which appear to be much brighter than other body parts. Or remember, um, I mentioned Barry Schwartz talked about the this um up in body image uniformity they're they're much brighter and he attributes this to a shadowing and or a washing out effects and that's because of the strong directionality of light which is inherent to these types of methods um so here's what barry schwartz says in his own words regarding this uh problem quote unquote allen's photographs contain strong directionality of light proto photo methods uh all proto photo methods suffer from this this is obvious from the deep shadows cast On his subject by the strong overhead sunlight he used to create his images they are clearly seen in the eye sockets under the nose and chin and below the hands that it is unlike the shroud and with the shroud images which demonstrate no directionality of light whatsoever it is further confirmed by the washing out of detail in certain parts of the body image most notably the tops of the feet when which received far more light and cumulative exposure than the rest of the body, relatively speaking. Proto-photo methods utterly fail um, in terms of all the aspects of this feature. Um, they can't explain it. So, okay, great. Well, what about the solar reflex model? Um, how does that perform on this fourth minimal relevant feature? Well, in that front, it, it performs much better. Remember, it's it's got um, it's basically a supine body wrapped in the cloth itself. And then sunlight shines through and causes it so it doesn't suffer a lot of the problems with the proto photo theory but nonetheless um there are there are problems here because number one there are no experiment scientifically uh, scientific experimental verifications uh that have been able to confirm the theoretical speculative fulfillment of these shroud image aspects by this method So this theory really postulates a body draped naturally in the shroud as the sun rays shine down on it and reflect the body's quote unquote horizontal planes, or more exactly the planes of the body which were roughly perpendicular to the solar rays. So at a purely theoretical level it seems that this technique seems to suffer problems, it it might suffer, it seems to fulfill it. Although there might be a problem with the non-contact zones, unless you postulate some kind of external pressure, presses the cloth in all all areas to complete continuous full-length body images, Uh, but we'll get to that more when we discuss direct contact theories um, in a future show. Okay, What about the shadow hypothesis? So this is a questionable uh, status for the solar reflex. What about the shadow hypothesis? Well, the shadow method can readily account for the full-length continuous body images, um, just as the painting image can, right? Because you can paint the full-length body images uh, hypothetically onto a a plate of glass that you're encoding on there. Just because their own experiment just did the face doesn't mean that hypothetically a medieval artist couldn't have produced full-length, painted full-length body images. However, there is an issue here because uh, it requires a piece of glass to be painted using a traditional painting technique, it therefore inherently can't account for the vertically mapped wrapping distortion. Because again, once again, like with the proto photo methods, there's nothing wrapped in a shroud. There is no body wrapped in a shroud, therefore no wrapping distortions. And trying to say, well, maybe a medieval artist without even having any clue about the such things existing was able to paint vertically mapped wrapping distortions on this piece of glass using traditional painting techniques or a paintbrush it has been scientifically proven impossible we just don't have the hand-eye brain coordination to do it as proven by scientific experiments with forensic artists and that sort of thing so yeah it's it's impo it's practically speaking impossible that this Shadow hypothesis, even if it can account for the full-length continuous body images, the no-body side aspects, and the non quote unquote non-contact zones. Obviously, in this method there are no no non-contact zones, just like with the proto-photos, because there's no contact at all. It's just the sun rays beaming on an object and then uh, transferring to the cloth or whatever. But the solar reflex model is questionable here. The other two fail. The feature minimum relevant feature four. Okay, so what about feature five, body image superficiality. Okay, so you remember here we have, this is the body image superficiality as well, uh, the no cementation or capillary flow feature. And uh, finally, the image is non-saturated, it's not as dark as it could be. So how does the proto-photo methods do on this front? And On this front, Barry Schwartz again, shroud expert chastises Nicholas Allen and and all such proto-photo methods for using various quote-unquote light-sensitive emulsions uh, because these would have had to be coated on the entire shroud in a semi-viscous liquid or a gelatine form and These would have in turn penetrated deep into the fibers of the cloth other Shroud and stirp scientists have uh, also chimed in on this front and said look these methods quote-unquote Involve treating the cloth with silver nitrate or some other emulsion to make the cloth sensitive to light, like a photographic film. However, any any such emulsion is, when applied to the cloth, would be pulled into the cloth by capillary action, and thus would sensitize more than just the microthin, superficial surface of the cloth a cloth is simply not like the solid surface of a photographic film so on that front i think that this uh, fail these mechanisms fail to explain the superficiality and non capillary flow or non cementation uh, between the body image from brills aspect of the shroud Another issue beyond the non-saturation, there was also another issue that wasn't a minimal relevant feature, but I wanted to mention it was the double superficiality so that there's superficial images on the backside of the face at least um, and or frontal image possibly. And if that's true, again, it, it's not a minimal relevant feature. So this won't count against the proto photo methods, but I'm just saying if we did later on in the future, establish the truth or veracity of the double superficiality, These methods would be utter failures. No medieval artist in the history of mankind would, why would you encode the face on the front and back of the front side of the cloth? That doesn't make any sense, no one would do that. But again, the double superficiality aspect isn't an issue, so it doesn't count whether, you know, you don't have to come up with an explanation as to why he double encoded superficial images of the face or frontal image. Bottom line is the non-cementation and superficiality aspects are failed by protophoto methods. Secondly, the solar reflux model attempts to address, does attempt to address this issue. They say, look, the superficiality of the imprint could be linked to the presence of a thin crust once those uh, in the sun, once those alloys and myrrh mixture Jesus' body was wrapped in was dried, and or a body if a medieval artist made this. And these are used as the precondition to the shroud, and would be slow to evaporation it would take about two days so yeah the basically this dry outer border of this crust and the double exposure to the sun rays reinforcing it acted as kind of a screen that reflected the rays uh, and they couldn't trespass deeper into the cloth and and, you know therefore their energy accumulated there on the surface probably in the form of extra heat or something like that Um, so while the liquid solution on the damp inner side of the crust located just above the level of the innermost fibrils would have catalyzed the liberation of this this energy and then therefore the degradation by it of the fibrils um, that were caught between the dry and the damp parts of the mixture. It claims to have a way of accounting for the body image superficiality here, as well as the non-cementation or, or capillary flow. But I would just say, look, even if we can see this very ad hoc and speculative hypothetical situation even if it was true there would still be scientific proof to see some evidence of cementation or capillary flow um, between the fibers on the shroud so um, it's kind of similar to one of the direct contact theories um, by Dr. John German, who, po- who postulated pre soaking the shroud prior to covering it with the body. So, yeah, it would still, the solar reflex model fails the non cementation or non capillary flow aspect of these shroud images, even if we grant that it could somehow get the superficiality through this very ad hoc supposition that Sergi is giving here. Okay, finally, what about the shadow hypothesis? Well, when um, Nathan Wilson was required to address the superficiality question, he did answer it. He proposed, quote-unquote, that his method would require sun bleaching of the back of the cloth in order to remove color from threads and fibers through the depth of the cloth to finally leave just a superficial image on the front. He further suggested that this approach would lead to the, quote-unquote, desired superficiality On the image side of the cloth okay so that's his uh supposition here what do we think of it so in the first place it's historically implausible to think that a medieval artist would even want to produce these desired superficiality effect right it's very ad hoc and a post-hoc rationalization we know today scientifically because it's been proven since 1978 that the images are body images are superficial but why, why on earth would a medieval artist who can't scientifically prove anything, no one would ever know that the images are superficial, to posit that he purposely in his head came up with a way to make superficial images, which is required, this, is, you know, this, this would have to be a conscious effort on the medieval artist's part to flip it over and bleach the back of the cloth to get rid of the coloured thread. I think that that's too much, that's unreasonable in my opinion and very improbable to be true. But let's let's say that he was trying to do that. Would it work? It, let's pretend he did try to lead to the superficiality effect and knew about it and knew he was going to prove in the 20th century uh, to a bunch of people he was some kind of medieval genius that knew about modern scientific technology and stuff like that or being more charitable maybe that was just an accidental unintended side effect for. Whatever reason, he wanted to flip it over and make the cloth look white, um, except for the body image areas or something like that. So, yeah, that, that is actually historically plausible. To me. Yeah, he wanted both sides of the cloth to look white or something like that, except for the body images. So he had to bleach the other side. Um, but even if he did do that, it would still not produce the superficiality effect. It wouldn't even work doing this wouldn't lead to superficial images. It's very improbable that it would um, because with the backside sunlight bleaching over the full extent of a, of a frontal and dorsal image it, it would just not produce the effect. Remember there are multiple layers of body image superficiality when we, we covered this in part four um, when we covered the body image superficiality aspect of the shrouds images um, you know they're superficial on three levels. At the fabric level, yes, so it's not on the reverse side. So maybe this method can explain that at a fabric level. But what about at the microscopic level, on the thread level? Only the top two to three fibrils are colored. Uh, what what would account for that? On this, there, you can't use a shadow to to do that um, in terms of bleaching the back side of the cloth only up to the two to three, making sure you still keep the two to three top fibrils. Or what about the superficiality? At the fiber level, only the primary cell walls. So you're saying you could bleach and a fiber. A fiber's diameter is smaller than a human hair. You can bleat, you can bleach all of that up to just the primary cell wall that's colored on the other other side, leaving that colored on each of the two to three fibrils of the 200 fibrils that make up a single thread um that's scientifically impossible uh, or very improbable given this method and same with in terms of double superficiality again not a minimal relevant feature but even wilson himself mentioned that his method inherently cannot account for this aspect if there is indeed double superficiality and he he just says look for right now it's not established minimal relevant feature so i don't need to discover how to place a superficial image on the reverse side of a cloth Um, essentially with superficiality the shadow hypothesis utterly fails the technique proposed is totally historically implausible and even if it were the case it wouldn't scientifically result in the superficial results that we see with the shroud so it utterly fails on this part okay what about feature number six how do the various Sunlight based models perform on that front. Okay, so feature six had three aspects so the non decomposition, the anatomical accuracies, as well as the counter feature anatomical inaccuracies, and then uh, features related to the blood stains. So I'm going to try to combine anatomical accuracies and blood stains quickly, but just looking at the no decomposition in the first place. So all types of mechanisms can account for this feature, right? Because Proto-photo methods, well, even if you're using a human body or a real human corpse, uh, it's not touching the cloth, so we wouldn't expect to find sufficient amounts of decomposition or putrefaction liquids on the shroud, so check. Solar reflex model, How? And sorry, same with the shadow hypothesis. It's a painting glass and the shadows on the thing, so check. Now, the solar reflex model could postulate the removal of the body quickly before sufficient amounts of decomposition liquids... You know started forming on the shroud where they would have been detectable or maybe it used a, sh- a statue or something like that if you want to change up the theory a little bit um so it just depends so i'm going to assume check mark on the no decomposition or no putrefaction liquids in sufficient amounts on the shroud of turin uh, so so a check on that front now what about the anatomical accuracy so on this front, um, again, you have to rely on some sort of traditional painting method. If it's an artistic method, uh, or in the case of the uh, solar reflex model, because it's postulating a body and/or Jesus' body, it would be a du- naturalistic direct contact method. And we'll get into problems with direct contact later on when we get to your ordinary naturalistic mechanisms. But yeah, with the proto-photo thing, that postulates painting, right? Now there are various features here. So in the first place, it would be nearly impossible for a medieval artist to photograph wounds, especially if the cloth is you know slathered in this um, emulsion. Um, but yeah, it would be impossible to image wounds uh, 14 feet away through light, right? Because blood, sunlight, again, reflects off differently off of blood compared to skin. So you would have issues there, right? So it wouldn't be able to account for the wounds or the blood, you know, the swollen cheek or stuff like that. Even if you used a real human body, let alone using a sculpture, that's even more implausible because we know historically, even from the Renaissance period, how poor the understanding of anatomy was. They, we've got visual depictions of what actual medical experts at the time drew in their medical textbooks, um, and I, I named it um, in my parts seven and eight shows um, on the painting hypothesis I mentioned a couple of these forensic texts from the, those times and they're horrible so there's no way a medieval artist could make a sculpture that's anatomically accurate like the shroud even if you used a real body those anatomical features wouldn't reflect the sunlight to the same degree and therefore being coded. Um plus there's invisible wounds here so it only shows up with modern scientific technology, UV light, right? So if you're painting on the blood, let's say there's serum retraction rings around the blood stains. There's also invisible, fine, invisible scratches that no human artist could actually paint on uh, with a paintbrush or some other technique. Um, And they're totally invisible to the naked eye. Only with UV fluorescence lighting do we see them today and know about them uh, at this point. So that's very unlikely to be to be painted uh, on as well there's no smearing or damage even at a microscopic level of the shroud's bloodstains and there's no body images encoded underneath any of the bloodstains perfectly cut off Now, given our hand-eye brain coordination that's impossible to paint if you're painting with paint for the bloodstains or with blood itself and that explains the serum retraction rings or something like that still doesn't explain the invisible scratching but it would be impossible for you to at a microscopic level terminate the the body images precisely at the blood images or because there's no body images under the blood it implies that the blood images were formed first and then the body images encoded how would that work would you wrap put a put a dead body in and get the blood stains on the cloth and then precisely align your corpse and your lens so as to Fit and match precisely where the wound should be with the blood stain. I just, that's impossible in my mind. It's pr- for all intents and purposes scientifically falsified and impossible that something like that would have happened. So it's an utter failure here. It doesn't account for it. And there's other issues as well. And if you say that the blood stains were encoded either painted or through direct contact with a real human body, thereby accounting for the, the accuracies of the blood stains at least, and then the body images were encoded. Well, that's impossible too under these proto photo methods, as well as the, the shadow method or whatever. Oh, sorry, these proto photo methods, because you have to wrap the cloth in, in this, drench it in this emulsion, right? Where you're uh, putting silver nitrate or solutions or some other kind of mixture, wet, viscous, gelatin like solution. And that would damage some of the blood stains or smear some of them but that none of the bloodstains are smeared or damaged even at a microscopic level on the shroud of Turin. Uh so that's falsifies this thesis as well. So take a look at my parts 6 and 7. Sorry, parts 7 and 8 on the traditional painting hypothesis, which is where I go in the most detail about these bloodstain images, the shadow hypothesis I'm talking about here where they paint on the glass. You'd have to paint your body images in such a way as to leave gaps or or Areas for the blood stains on an already existing cloth, that's impossible. Just like with the proto photo, you couldn't align it properly like that. Um, and if the blood stains were painted on afterwards, well, that wouldn't remove uh, the coloring in either the proto photo type or the shadow hypothesis. So, either way, it's impossible to have no images, no body images underneath the blood stains with these techniques. Now the solar reflex model, now we come to that one. So this one does posit an actual human torso, so that it, hypothetically through direct contact. If that could work and it doesn't, we'll see, we'll see what the problems are with direct contact theory, naturalistic theory for encoding the bloodstains, but for the moment, even if we could account for that, and that's why there's no body images under the bloodstains. It would still be questionable. There would still be some smearing and that sort of thing. Again, we'll get into that in the direct contact theories. But the main thing I want to say here is look, once again, the human body in this hypothesis is coated in myrrh and alloys. It's not like it's just myrrh and alloys um, being placed beside the body, which is what a lot of pro shroud scientists say because there wasn't enough time to coat the body. But this is, he's smothered in it, a highly implausible scenario. Um, again, if it's a statue, how do you get those realistic wounds, scratches that that fool dozens upon dozens of fo- modern medical and forensic scientists? That's impossible, in my mind, or extremely improbable, especially if it's a statue. But even if you have a body, the body would be sh- smothered in these myrrh and alloys mixture, and that would distort and prevent all of the anatomical accuracies that are encoded on the Shroud of Turin to be encoded on to the cloth. So it it couldn't be. You couldn't account for the anatomical accuracies with the solar reflex model, even supposing there is a it was Jesus himself with the wounds and, and all this stuff. This hypothesis couldn't explain the encodation of all of those anatomical accuracies. And there's also problems with the bloodstains being directly deposited or encoded through a pure direct naturalistic direct contact thesis. Uh, and we'll get to that later on when we cover the direct contact thesis. For right now, I'm going to leave that a mystery. But just understand there is and there is more pro, there are more problems regarding the blood bloodstains um, and direct contact. The, additionally, in terms of the proto photo, going back to the proto photo type deals with Nicholas Allen, for example, one of the main objections against him is look, it's it's just simply impossible to encode full length body images here because. The body is simply not reflective of night, light, uh, reflective enough to transfer the entirety of the anatomically accurate body images. Now to rectify this issue, uh, Nicholas Allen suggested, what if we painted the body in various reflective paints? Ah, that would solve the problem, wouldn't it? Uh, And that way I could get full length body images, uh, which is part of our feature four that we discussed above, um, but I didn't mention this part here. Because, so let's say we did that and that fulfills uh, the full-length body images. But if you cover the body in reflective, various reflective paints, well then you cover up most of the anatomical details like the invisible scratches and scourge wounds that only show up with ultraviolet invisible fluorescence light, lighting techniques, and scientific technology. So this doesn't work either. One last final note with the proto-photo methods. Think about it. Uh, so it might work if we posit a dead body, uh, that's questionable, uh, or a statue, um, right? But if it's a live body, that's almost, that's impossible, physically impossible to be the case if, uh, if the physical human body is playing the role here. Uh, because think about it, it has to stand in this position, awkward position, where it's on an one upraised leg for like four to eight days to encode this image in the sunlight, being having it reflected on it that's physically impossible for any human being to do and uh, yeah it's it's problematic uh, otherwise but um, yeah uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there so so that's it in terms of this feature so let's move on to the seventh and final minimal relevant feature in all of its multiple aspects which which aspects speak to the truth or falsity of these types of uh, sunlight based mechanism okay so there are essentially three of the additional features, where feature minimal relevant feature number seven, which covers the other additional properties of the shroud, physical, optical, spectral, spectral, spectral chemical, and or other properties of the shroud. So there are three that apply here to these uh, sunlight based theories. So the first one is additional feature number three, whereby photomicrographs and samples show that the body image's color is a result of concentrations of yellow to light brown fibers. Well, the solar reflex model refers to the experimental results of, um, kind of refers or punts to this experimental results of Sebastiano Rodante, who is under the direct contact hypothesis. Um, And he says, look, the, the the cloths were soaked in a water or oil solution of alloys and myrrh um and that expo- exposed to the action of solar rays after about five minutes take on a superficial color of brown sepia now obviously this color uh conflicts with the straw yellow to light brown color discovered to make up the shroud's body images so to counter this objection basically sergi um the guy who makes up the solar reflex model mentions that the quote-unquote nature and stability of this color has not been addressed by rodante. um which kind of implies that he's saying well maybe over time the color changes and lightens up to be like what we see with the shroud. Um, So this is just the pure ad hoc post hoc rationalization on his part. And I assign a questionable rating for the solar reflex model in terms of uh, explaining the yellow to light brown coloring of the fibers on the uh, shroud's body image fibers. Okay, next we have additional feature number six, which is basically stating the microchemical evaluation has indicated that there are no evidence, zip, duda, uh, zippo, uh, evidence for any spices, oils, or any other biochemical or organic substances which are known to be produced by and are associated with a human body in life or in death. Um, So basically um the solar reflex theory again if you're postulating that there's a dead corpse and or it's jesus himself and you're preparing that in ancient times with myrrh and alloys the body putting it in the cloth and it po- this theory can postulate this right and where the body and the cloth are both soaked in these alloys and myrrh but yet there's n- zero traces of these types of substance substances on the linen today and they should have been in 1978 when all those scientific instruments were uh, and chemical experiments were done it should have picked up something it's impossible and very unlikely that all such traces would have oxidized or completely decomposed over 2000 years or and or if it's the medieval period since the medieval times there there would still be detectable traces of these substances on it especially given the fact that the, both the cloth and the body would have been had to have been soaked in these in order for the solar reflex theory to be true. So that falsifies on a balance of probability of this theory. Finally, we have additional feature number seven, the fact that there are no zip doodad day <laughs> There are no... Okay, I, yeah, I, this is a fresh start. No more um, rhetorical lines. So basically, feature number seven says there are no detectable traces of photosensitizers related to silver salts and or silver... N- silver nitrate emulsion so this scientifically rules out and falsifies nicholas allen's specific approach and his, his approach is really the only plausible one today because the solution um given by the the others picnic and um and that didn't don't work they don't produce the images um properly um whereas silver the photographic process using silver is really the best it's the primary light sensitive material that's used in the proto photo method by Nicholas Allen the best component of this thing but yet uh detailed stirp scientists investigated this and searched for this compound specifically using detailed spectral and chemical analyses and not 1 ounce not one trace was found so you know according to the proponents of this theory Nicholas Allen all the silver must have been removed during the fixing process um but then that raises another problem because the chemicals used to fix quote unquote fix the image and make it permanent would only remove the unused silver uh that's what they postulate here so there would pl- be still be plenty of silver remaining where the body image areas are right uh so that's what fixed the body images so the silver would be fixed in the body image areas um but yet there's no silver, not even in the body image area, so that falsifies Nicholas Allen's suggestion. Now, similarly, with the Picnet and Prince proto-photo method, where they theorize scorching the cloth to get rid of any of the unused photosensitive sensitive solutions that they proposed. Um, now, obviously, that's historically ridiculous. Um, they proposed the use of ammonia bichromate, which is historically ridiculous to put cover a body or something like that and to cover the cloth burial cloth in that kind of solution like a medieval artist wouldn't have thought to use that at all that ammonia bichromate um so it's historically implausible i should say but even if they did use this there are similar problems as to with nicholas allen's because um they're proposed photosensitive solutions, again, it's highly unlikely that they would have all completely decomposed over time or oxidized, and yet they still remain in sufficient quantity to allow the body images to be visible to us today. Um, That's very improbable and ad hoc on their part. Okay, great. So let's do our overall assessment of these theories in light of the best explanation inference criteria and make our cumulative case conclusion here. So The first criterion is plausibility, whereby the hypothesis must be implied by, or at least consistent to a greater degree by a greater number of other accepted truths via our background knowledge. So with respect to the proto-photo theories, these are deeply implausible. So in the the first place, um, let's pretend if such a process was used to create the shroud images, then there would be zero, no known examples of this method in all of artistic history apart from the shroud. Some medieval genius uh, was able to come up with something that no other art, artist in human history was able to to think of until the 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, so that's practically speaking implausible right there. Furthermore, Nicholas Allen, he tries to argue that the raw materials to produce photography not only existed in medieval times, but that a medieval photographer created a light sense of emulsion coated it onto a linen cloth, and exposed this medieval quote-unquote film to sunlight using a room-sized camera obscura. Uh, So camera obscura, that's another name for the technique uh, of proto-photography. And then also put a body, live or dead body and or statue hanging in front of its crystal lens as the subject matter. So then Alan goes on and says that such a technique dates as far back as Plato, postulated about shadows on cave walls and what they represented there is a crucial problem with this type of argument and that's the fact that no such techniques historically if you actually look at phd historians they no no one ever utilized a lens until the 1550s 200 years after the proven uncontroversial provenance of the shroud of turin in the 1350s and it was a a mathematician who first just suggested replacing the simple hole with an actual lens so remember a crystal lens is necessary for the proto-photo methods to work and nobody even before the camera obscura method just used a hole in the wall now what's more all these types of methods necessarily entail using technology and techniques that we know historically were not available until the 19th century historically impossible that a medieval artist could have used it So, for example, with Picnet and Prince's proto-photo method, you know, they've been described, even a fellow proto-photo theorist, uh, Nicholas Allen, cuts them up and says, well, look, they they gave a mismanaged experiment based heavily on a standard 19th century recipe that is impossible to have existed in the 14th century. So, therefore, right away, historically, we know that their method couldn't have been the method the medieval artist used to make the shroud hypothetically so he goes on to say that their use of ammonium bichromate entails using a solution that was simply unheard of at the time the shroud was alleged to have been made in the medieval period but what about allen he doesn't get off the hook here because likewise allen's own theory suffers from this same critique in that it requires a lens with specific specifications which could not possibly have existed prior to the 19th century so so yeah what's good for the goose is good for the gander allen's theory is also historically impossible to be true um a medieval artist could not have adopted his method it requires a crystal lens to even work it could not there's no proto-photo method that would even come close to working based on the technology of the medieval period using something similar to this technique such as using a hole in the wall you just can't get close you need that crystal lens but that crystal lens didn't exist until the 19th century. Finally, I should also mention that, look, Allen goes to great lengths to say that the only plausible solution for photosensitizing agents must pertain either silver nitrate or um, his uh, silver sulfite. But even he himself admits that he could only document the use of silver chloride during the Middle Ages. A solution that is completely useless for his type of technique so historically it's implausible that they even knew what silver sulfite or silver nitride was nitrate sorry was it didn't exist in medieval times and therefore his total technique fails it's important to note that these uh, historical implausibility arguments aren't unique or specific to Nicholas Allen and or uh, picnets and princes theory or, or techniques um, this is endemic. This is um, applicable to any and all proto-photo hypotheses or techniques that could possibly come close to reproducing these Shroud of Turin's images. Like I said, it, it requires the technique itself inherently requires technology that didn't exist until the 19th century. So it doesn't matter, you know, what version of the theory. If you want, if you want to say, well, maybe there's a third guy and he he did a little bit better. No. Everyone who attempts a proto-photo theory will inevitably and inherently have to use 19th century or later technology to get the job done. Uh, they can't use the technology that was historically available in the medieval period uh, in terms of the camera obscura method to produce images. It's just inherently impossible in the technique itself. So it's not just specific to Nicholas Allen or Picnit and Prince's methods. It's the general proto-photo hypothesis itself that suffers this criticism from historical implausibility. Okay, what about the solar reflex model? Well, this likewise suffers from both a practical and theoretical implausibility, because there are no other burial shrouds that have ever produced similar images to the shroud. So there's this natural uniqueness, despite a natural, sufficient natural opportunity for such methods to have been duplicated in other ancient burials. Again, Sergei himself says this was common practice in the ancient world. Whether that's true or not is beside the point. He thinks it is. And look, there, there are no other duplicates. The shroud is totally unique. We would expect dozens and dozens of other examples of burial shrouds with similar images if this is how it was produced from, from ancient burials. Likewise, it's also highly implausible, given our background knowledge, to imagine that sun rays were reflecting off of a human body, including both skin, hair, and blood without the need to coat the body in some kind of reflective enhancing substance or or something like that. Um, But again, if once you posit that, that inevitably interferes with the fulfillment of creating those anatomical accuracies and uh, totally messes you up in terms of body image uniformity aspects of the shroud. What about the shadow hypothesis? Well, this also is implausible because it requires that an artist be able to paint on glass all of the realistic wounds and anatomical features which are present on the shroud man and as we saw with the traditional painting hypothesis in parts uh, seven and eight that's simply impossible and or extremely proven beyond reasonable doubt to be implausible okay great the next criterion is explanatory scope well as we saw the uh, Proto photo theories fail to create an entire image, so they don't account for feature four, the full length body completed or in continuous body images, um, at least not without uh, having multiple attempts all fitted together. But then this just produces an unnatural looking image, so it contradicts, it can't explain both the continuous full length body images and the high resolution images. So it fails on that on that account. They also fail because, uh, to account for many of the features such as vertical mapping, the 3D uniform intensity, such as we saw. Uh, in terms of the shadow hypothesis, well this likewise fails to appeal, appeal, uh, account adequately for multiple features like the 3D info, the vertical mapping and image superficiality. And finally, um, all three methods including the solar reflex method, fail to account for encoding the blood stains entirely. They're not able to account for that. So, so yeah, in terms of the explanatory scope criterion, as pro-shroud expert Barry Schwartz puts it, quote-unquote, look, any attempt at recreating an image like that on the Shroud of Turin must match all of the physical and chemical properties of the original, not just a few. And that is so apt to the lack of explanatory scope of these types of theories these sunlight based or derived theories um, okay in terms of explanatory power so this refers not to the quantity of facts or features that a theory can explain but the quality how well does it fit does it require effort or amb- is there any ambiguity or vagueness with it and on this front all three theories fail to have explanatory power they can't account for multiple details um, that we saw above during our assessment and therefore fail the explanatory power criterion right away Additionally, the solar reflex model seems to perform slightly better than the other two types of mechanisms, but is nonetheless still vague on many details. There are a lot of questionable areas. Um, So that leaves some vagueness or ambiguity as to its performance on explanatory power, such as with the fulfillment of the 3D information there. And due to this lack of lack of experimental attempts to verify how well this technique performs in reproducing this feature, I think that it it definitely fails the explanatory power criterion. Furthermore, there's also an ambiguity in the ability of an artist using either a proto-photo technique um, to utilize a dead body um, over an extended period of time to produce the desired effects. That seems to lack explanatory power alongside being implausible, uh, which we didn't mention in the plausibility section, but um great okay what about last less ad hoc the final criterion the criterion of simplicity where the hypothesis that employs the least amount of unproven non-evidenced assumptions is the best and this is a bonus criterion but it says look it taxes the imagination to envisage um, some kind of medieval artist would you know have had the understanding of all these photographic principles let alone the knowledge and skills to incorporate them into work that's a a huge assumption even the uh, hyper shroud skeptic Joe Nickel complains about the proto photo method and he says quote unquote let me just quote the shroud skeptic on this front in this affront to Occam's razor Nicholas Allen and the proto photo hypothesis propose that the medieval forger actually invented photography specifically he suggests the forger used a camera obscura or dark chamber or pinhole camera technique one the size of a room but newly outfitted with crystal lenses the newly invented film would be a linen sheet treated with silver sulfite or silver nitrate although no silver was ever found on the shroud Allen rationalizes it could have been for some reason uh, undisclosed washed off with urine um the subject would have had he goes on the subject would have had to have been an immobile figure, hanging in the sun in such a way that light struck it equally during morning and afternoon for several days. After several days of this, the forger would have an image he could then paint on with tempera paint to produce blood on the various wound sites, although even then the results would not be shroud-like. I suggest that, after the forger invented all this technology, which went unused and unknown for nearly the next five centuries, he could have invented the telephone and talked with others about it. Then he could have invented the automobile and driven to uh, to the Rivera for a much-needed rest. With this absurdly ad hoc explanation of the Shroud's images, uh, the proto-photo technique has played right into the hands of the Shroud propagandists. Shroud activists are no doubt laughing all the way to the cathedral, when someone, when a shroud skeptic proposes uh, proto photographic technologies uh, and, and uh, hypothesis, sorry, uh, so so yeah, that's Joe Nickel, the ultimate one of the ultimate shroud skeptics himself, backing me up, saying that no, this is totally ad hoc; it's an affront to Occam's razor. Uh, so I think that's pretty devastating for the proto photo techniques. Thank you to shroud skeptic Joe Nickel for proving the pro shrouds. Case on this front okay uh finally we have the solar reflex model and that is ad hoc as well because it, it has to assume that the people preparing the body for burial would precisely align the body's dorsal side with its frontal side when they coincidentally flipped it over in just such a way as to produce the images in the precise alignment that we see with the shroud today um yeah i, I don't believe that it makes much more sense that the, the entire shroud wrapped the body simultaneously and that the images were produced simultaneously so so that's a, an ad hoc assumption here that makes the solar reflex hypothesis improbable because they they first did the front then after some time they flipped them over and did the back and the back images um would you know they would have rubbed his back and put that in the shrouders whatever right um that's the and it just happens to precisely align as though uh along with those vertically wrapped mapping distortions and stuff in such a way as to line up as though it's the same as a human being being wrapped in the shroud um both front and dorsal image is were produced at exactly the same time because it, it was wrapping the shroud the shroud wrapped both of his back and front at the same time the images were formed that's a lot less ad hoc than the solar reflex trying to say that somehow they precisely aligned both images by accident they weren't trying in sergi's model right it's, he thinks it's jesus and the women weren't trying to produce shroud images even um and yet they somehow magically aligned it um that it's impossible even if a medieval artist was purposefully trying to line them up they wouldn't be able to perfectly match them but let alone it just happening by accident by flipping the body over and putting myrrh and alloys on it that's very ad hoc in my opinion um, in terms of the shadow hypothesis I'm I'm neutral on this so I, I didn't find any elements that were ad hoc about the shadow hypothesis so uh, I just gave it a neutral and or a pass if I'm um, being generous uh, for the shadow hypothesis so alright great that's it that's our assessment of the ordinary artistic mechanisms based on using sunlight and or naturalistic in the case of the in the case of Sergey's, um oh I'm forgetting what it's called now the uh the solar reflex model uh could be artistic or it could be naturalistic depending on how you see it uh Sergei's model is is purely naturalist ordinary naturalistic but nonetheless yeah this the this category of sunlight based models where sunlight is the primary encod- body image encoding agent um and in combination with either painting in the case of artistic things for the bloodstains and or direct contact in the case of positing the solar reflex as a ordinary naturalistic hypothesis as opposed to an ordinary artistic hypothesis so um yeah or with the bo- or, and or a combination some sometimes artistic Artistically, it can be both painted and direct contact, a combination of both, as we saw with Luigi Gerlocelli to to try and explain the bloodstains. So yeah, that's our our assessment. These theories are an utter failure. They are very improbable to be the explanations of the shroud, and therefore, mechanistically speaking, uh, in terms of an image-forming mechanism, these hypotheses are improbable to be true and great uh let's move on to the next image forming mechanism and it's going to be another ordinary artistic mechanism in our next show uh so it's going to be related with heat the scorching all right enjoy the day and uh see you guys next time